You unlock the door with the key of ignition. Beyond is another dimension. A dimension of sound and a dimension of speed. You find yourself in a land of both friction and downforce, of acceleration and gear changes. You're about to experience the Rev Limiter. Hello everybody, I'm Neville Wilkinson. Thanks for joining us. I'm joined by Andrew Clark. How you going, Clarky? Not bad. I had to endure the uh, the flight with the face mask, um, which is interesting. So, uh, yeah, flew over to Adelaide. Uh, interestingly, the last time I flew was the Adelaide 500 last year. So, uh, so Adelaide to Adelaide, I'm back in action. Go for it. Okay, we're here for races 9, 10 and 11, our review of round four at the Bend. There was three 100k sprints, uh, the second highest lateral load circuit uh, that the cars race on. What is the highest lateral load circuit? Phillip Island. Phillip Island, eh? Okay. So when they come out of, when they come over the Lukey Heights and go through that little chicane, from there all the way around to the main straight is a full load at Phillip Island and it's faster than the, uh, the six, seven, eight, nine, ten combination at the bend. Do they race at Phillip Island anymore? Uh, no, we bonus, don't this year. Bonus banner and all. So they don't this year. It's called blimey. It's just sand down in Phillip Island are treated the same. It's like, nah, do we want to race there? Oh, one of the best racetracks in Australia. Uh, do we want oh, to race there? Yeah. Okay. We call it we call it the dickhead philosophy, Nev. <laughs> okay. Um, so you can now change that to it is the highest load, lateral load circuit. No, yeah, so it's the highest lateral load <laughs> circuit on the calendar for, for 2021 anyway. Uh, the tyre pain was saved by the rain on Saturday. Uh, that made it very interesting, but uh, didn't save everybody on the pain. But it was three winners from three different races, and they were all forwards. Yeah, it's not a bad way to break your duck, is it? So uh, for first Ford win for the year, three of them, three different ones winning. So, uh, yeah, good good outing, good weekend for the Fords after uh, being smashed by the Holdens in the first three rounds. It's yeah, on, the well, fight's on. <laughs> well, consistency still goes to Shane Van Gisbergen. Still got the most points for the round, even though he didn't win any of the races. Yeah, no, exactly. Didn't win a race. Uh, was steady, consistent. Didn't cock it up and bag the points when other people had dramas. So he uh, extended his championship lead, which is a bit scary. But I did see one stat on the weekend. He won the first six races, and he hasn't won a race in the last five races. So if he doesn't win the next one, it's a 50-50 split. Oh, we'll see how this goes. Okay, before we get into chatting about the actual races, there's a bit of news going on. I mean, it's been a big news weekend, Gen 3. It's always at the top of the list at the moment. The news coming from Supercars is John Casey, who was overseeing the project, he's gone. Did he leave in his own volition or did he was he asked to leave? Well, at the risk of um, getting sued, my understanding is that he was asked to leave. Um, so, yeah, gone. The whole Gen 3 thing in terms of the management of it's been interesting because it, you know, it was being overseen by John Casey originally and then Sean Seamus stepped in to take control of it. Now John Casey's gone totally. You know, they brought on a design engineer, another one. There's rumours that John Russell's on board. The engine developer, Craig Haystead, was told during the week that he wasn't going to the bend. He had to stay home and fix the engines. So all action and all change on the, the back room part of it because – there's mumblings. There's grumpy people saying, we don't want Gen 3 next year because we're not ready. Then other people are saying, oh, well, we know we're ready and off you go. So, yeah, it's all up in the air, Nev. 
as we speak, or as you probably listen to this, Tuesday, there's supposedly a big meeting between all the team owners and supercars. And I think that the top of the agenda is Gen 3. So, look, first of all, I'll go through. John Casey's gone. They got in another design engineer on board to try and fast track it so they can try and make it for 22. John Russell, ex-Tickford, ex-FPR, XT8, XF1, he's rumoured to be on board. Another engine developer, Craig Haystead, told, as you said, told don't come to the track, stay home and work on the engine. So obviously it's, they're going flat out to try and make this happen. Can they afford to put this back another year? They've already put this back one year. Okay, COVID, the great excuse for everybody. But can they afford to put this back to 2023? I don't think they can. They've they've come out and said we we're going to have it for 22. For the sake of the sport, they need to fix it because the current cars are not – good racing cars in terms of giving us the spectacle that we want. You know, the entertainment value is gone from the current cars. So, yeah, it needs to happen, must happen. But more critically, Nev, they can't cock it up. You can't come out with cars that don't do the job, the cars that don't do what they've tried tried to do, what they've set out. Um, let's say they come out with unreliable engines, and God knows why there's talk about changing engine formats. Um, I thought they were just trying to make them a bit um, cheaper to build and cheaper to run, but now they're talking, you know, maybe using a six-litre Chev and a 5.4-litre Ford and all those sort of things, but equalising it. And we've been running those V8s for, I don't know, 40 years I would have thought we had them fully under control and we didn't need to go silly on it. Uh, all they need to do is watch what they're doing in terms of the development. So lightweight parts, lightweight this, lightweight that. Look, screw it all. Get rid of it and just take you straight out NASCAR donk. What do you put that down to? Some of the people who can get involved in this decision-making process? No, I think it's more about a marketing exercise from the car companies. And, um, you know, Ford, uh, Ford Mustang comes with, with, with a certain engine, but it doesn't race with it. Um, so, you know, they're trying to think, well, how do we build our connection? You know, so Holden doesn't sell any engines in Australia, so the chair's got the six-litre V8, so you know, why not run that type of thing? The reasons behind it, I've got no idea. I don't understand the sane or the insanity of doing this when you could even start, like, let's say you did this and you said, we're just going to drop in this year's engine and it goes in, then we move on. But the problem I understand is that the engines actually don't fit so the current shape engine does not fit inside a Camaro or a Mustang. Oh, this is and you can't worse. drop it. You can't it's do it. You can't do it. Yeah, it's getting Yeah, it's the reason. Okay, for my two cents worth, who gives a crap what the engine is? It's just stick a badge on it. Just go with the engines and don't go the paddle shift. It's like, oh, we're going to go the paddle shift. We're going to spend all that time tell us about it. No, like, oh, no, just give us something to watch and – and just you understand what I'm saying? They're saying, oh, paddle shift, the, yeah. the fans will deal with that. You know, we have to go that way, even though they're saying they want to go the other way. But they have to really be sticklers on the engine. Are you kidding me? Yeah, and no one really cares so long as it's got a four or a Chev engine in. They don't care what the format is. But, you know, if the real issue is that they just can't fit the current engine in, then that is a big issue and that has to be sorted. And I can understand that. But, you know, no one's actually released any data to tell us that. That's just what my sniffing in pit lane tells me. So if that's the case, come out and tell us so that we understand why we have to go through this exercise. I think it's probably one of the issues. A lot of people going, look, we know you're not perfect. We know you're coming off a bad year last year. Just tell us what's going on and maybe we'll deal with it. There's all this smoke and mirrors thing going on. In the end, it just pisses people off. 
Yeah, and they're pretty good at that. <laughs> okay, moving on. JC adds fuel to the Merce Stanaway Bathurst wild card fire. This is the one that was lit by Peter Addison several weeks ago, the uh, owner of Boost Mobile. It's getting momentum, for lack of a better term. Well, it is. The funny thing is that it probably started out as a little bit of a joke when Russell Inga was announced and, and Peter Adderton said, well, I can do that with Murph. And so, you know, he's gone back to Murph and built this thing and the, the dream was him and Richie Stanaway and, and um, you know, Murph, I don't know what he's thinking, but um, he might have might be fancy a crack. He'll get some money in his pocket and that's a good thing. Uh, but what JC said was that uh, in Speed Cafe, it's Pete. If he wants something to happen, it will happen. So, you know, that's that's Courtney saying if Adderton wants it, Adderton gets it. Peter Adderton doesn't actually make empty threats or promises. Depends which way you want to look at it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. So, uh, yeah, that could make it interesting. Bathurst could be interesting. So maybe we will get up to 30 or more cars this year with all the wild cards that are going to pop up. <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be good? Bathurst needs more than 30 cars. That's the bottom line. And so whatever they do to get to more than 30 cars, they need to do. Oh, okay. New pony coming for Andre. Uh, so his contract's up at the end of the year. So, and for people that are listening, Clarky just nodded to you. <laughs> anyway, is it, so he's got a new deal offered or he's one coming soon? Mind you, this weekend his stocks would have gone up a bit. Well, yeah, if you treat this weekend as a job application for the Triple Eight job, he did pretty well, didn't he? <laughs> but uh, he'd be close to the front runner now so you, for that hang drive. On, hang on. Are you saying he's in the running for the T8 job or are you just saying in general everybody's in the running for the T8 job? No, I think he's definitely in the running for that job. Like he's only 25, which we kind of forget a little bit. It feels like he's been around a little bit longer than he has. Clearly a very talented driver. He's good. Um, you know, he's got the commercial now that Triple Eight's after and all of those sort of thing. So I think he's a great slot in in that place. Um, he's happy at Cali Grove Racing. Um, you know, Grove said on the weekend, you know, well, we've only just sort of bedded down Cali Grove. So we haven't started our negotiations with him yet until we know what the team looks like. I, I, think, um, he so started, th- I think he started in his negotiations already. <laughs> he just won, the first, he's won his first race. He'd be pretty happy at Cali Grove. I don't care where you are. If you win your first supercar race, you're happy with that team. Oh, absolutely. And you know that they're going to get better as well. So, you know, where they are and uh, where they're heading to, uh, it's a bit like, you know, when Walkinshaws took on Andretti um, and Zach Brown, you know, United. So uh, all of a sudden they got a sharpness about them. You know, they got a purpose, they got a direction because other parts of the business were being looked after by experts in the other parts of the business. So, you know, maybe this is what the Grove family bring to the Kellys in terms of, you know, sharpening up the business aspect of it, which means that you can get more money in the door. And if you get more money in the door, you've got enough money to try and keep your Andre Heimgartners and so forth while still developing the car. And, well, and that's the key to it. Nothing keeps the sponsorship coming in like winning races. No, and of course, you know, they're building him a brand new Mustang. So uh, he's going to have a new car shortly. So, uh, you know, that's always a nice thing. So, you know, with the lessons that they learn go into the build of the new car. So it just becomes a little bit sharper because they're on that evolutionary scale. Talking about Kelly Grove Racing, uh, both their cars identical or is one an older car and one a newer car and they're trying to actually get two identical cars 
I think that's the plan eventually is to to even them up in a sense because, as I say, it's, it's a very evolutionary process for them, you know, switching from Nissans to Ford, you know, so there's a, quite a bit of work involved in that part of the process. So they haven't really concentrated yet on, on rebuilding chassis and doing all of that sort of learning. Um, so that's what's coming now. So it'll be interesting to see how that one goes. Well, I'm assuming they're not building too much because they've got to think about possible 2022. <laughs> if Gen 3 comes in next year, is this going to be the last Mustang that they're going to build? Not sure. Probably need to have a chat to Todd to work that one out. But uh, I would imagine they'd try to build another one because if they've got the chassis sitting there, you may as well build them. Remember, they had four cars and spares and things, so they've probably got enough you know, chassis sitting there ready to rolling you know, rolling cage, roll cages, chassis sitting there ready to go. So they could probably do it without too much drama and see where they end up with that. Okay. Um, moving on. Last bit of news, seven. Still showing highlights, but very late at night. I know a lot of people weren't happy with this. But now if you get onto 7 Plus, you can stream it a little earlier. I think it's only a couple of hours early. I'm not too sure. But there's more live races coming on starting from the Darwin weekend. Yeah, so we got five five out of the six races that they're covering all happen in the second half of the season. So Darwin's a live event, which uh, on Channel Seven, and then we got the other four coming on board. You know, so to to round us out for the season. So good run home for those who don't have Foxtel or Ko. Um, but you know, my 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 advice to people is if you love your supercar racing, go and get Foxtel or Ko. Probably Ko because it's you know it's not that expensive it's when you think about price. it. Yeah, and, you know, not only do you get supercars, you can get IndyCar, you can get NASCAR, you can get Formula One, you know, and you can get football and rugby league and whatever it is. So, you know, I don't think it's a lot of money when you consider how much money it costs you to go to a car race. Just do that instead of going to a car race. Well, I did mention that the lateness of the highlights package, there's a bit of a blow up from the fan base about that. But I'm hearing that it may not be Channel 7's fault. Supercars can't deliver a highlights package quick enough? Yeah, that's uh, that's the deal. Is that um, so? Supercars Media produces all of the highlights that they run. So Channel Seven is not involved in any of the content creation, uh, probably at any point in time. I mean, the only content they're in charge of is when they've got their own commentators talking, and the rest of it comes from Supercars Media, uh, and they just can't package it up that uh, quickly enough to do it. Which, uh, you know, so they're limited in that sense. You know, they'd probably like to go earlier, especially if they're doing it on the streaming platform. You know, they love probably love to have it up straight afterwards. What I don't understand is why they don't just get the races to play them play them on delay all the way on their 7 plus well it's obviously the deal we've got with foxtel haven't they or whatever yeah there's also a bit, there's a bit of talk that you know they're, they're being a bit stubborn about things and they're trying to explain to the world that you know free-to-air tv exists and that maybe we should be putting some pressure on the governments to protect some of our sports free-to-air the downside to that of course for the sport is that it means less less money for the sport foxtel's willing to pay because Foxtel's generating income from it through subscriptions and advertising and so forth, whereas Channel 7's got to rely on advertising and the modelling just doesn't stack up the same way as Foxtel. I've heard in the last week or so that the rules for anti-siphoning aren't being changed. I thought they were, they were going to look at changing them. I'm not too sure which direction, but uh, the free-to-air networks have been protected a little bit longer So um, with this anti-siphoning legislation staying in place. Yeah, and there's, yeah, there are no moves to change it. In fact, the the if any moves happen, they'll weaken it a little bit. They might ease up on some of the stuff that's covered and protected. So, in motorsport terms, the only two protected events are the Australian Grand Prix and Bathurst. Everything else uh, doesn't need to be shown on free to air TV at all. 
Imagine if they just didn't show Bathurst on free-to-air or live TV. Well, there's, there's, there's been a push to have it removed from the anti-siphoning. Um, oh, that's so, you crazy. Know, yeah, well, exactly. But, you know, that's because the, uh, the uh, pay TV companies would like to have it all on their own um, yeah. so that you have to have it to watch it. And then imagine how many people would have Foxtel in. <laughs> or people just go and follow another sport and forget about motorsports. Well, that's your risk, isn't it? But uh, I think the evidence shows that people will switch to the um, to the Foxtel. But again, you know, I think it comes back to what people want. And if we get Gen 3 right, then people are going to want the category. They're going to want the sport. If we keep on dishing up what we've dished up last year at Bathurst and earlier this year at Bathurst, then people aren't going to want to watch it at all. So, mm. you know, the worst part is that if the ratings drop off and we don't get a lot of people tuning into Bathurst this year, that just builds the momentum to take it off the anti-siphoning protection. Okay, well, in the fullness of time. Yes. Hey, Nev, guess what? What? Supercars Extra Magazine's out. Hey! You go in there and you can read my big story on the 888 guys and uh, how they're handling their transfer of the ownership. Even talks percentages. So I got down to the nuts and bolts of who owns what and who has owned what in there. But more importantly, why Tony Quinn has invested in the team, which is all about Jamie Wincup and Jess Dane. So that's an interesting story in itself. Then we got other ones. Like there's a big thing, the races racer. We just spoke about it, didn't we? Brody Kostecki, first full-time rookie season. What's going on there? Uh, then we have a bit of a look about Holden winning the war. I'm not so sure that they really did win the war, but anyway, we'll let them have that for the moment. Spoken um, like a true yeah, Ford fan. Uh, I just think the battle's uh, the battle's up for grabs. Like, let's say you did it and said, well, how, what's the percentage of cars on the grid? We've got 16 Holdens and eight Fords. So if we get more wins for Holden, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I, I think it's an interesting argument about who did actually win the war and whether the war's been won. So I like that. But that's it. Supercars Extra. Go out and find your copy. Okay. Head to the news agents or where all good magazines are sold. Or do it online and buy an online subscription. That's probably the best way. Okay, Clarky, I'm going to get on my computer and subscribe right now. Uh, Supercarsextra.com.au or still the old V8X.com.au. Go there, hit subscribe. Okay, we're back. Race nine, Saturday. Knockout qualifying, the four Brad Jones racing cars were the four slowest. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, they were saying it was a tyre pressure issue. By the time we were left with 10 cars over the final 10 minutes, it was Andre Heimgardner who took pole. What? That was unexpected. It was unexpected because, uh, you know, Andre hasn't been super fast this year in that sense. I mean, he's been good. Um, we know he got the pole position last year. I think it was at Sydney Motorsport Park from memory. That's just off the top of my head. Um, but, you know, we know he can do it. Uh, this time around, he was just superlative. He was in great form and he controlled the whole thing. So, uh, you know, it, it felt like it was never in doubt from the start of qualifying, actually, even though I don't think he topped qualifying two. But we knew when qualifying three came around that he had the speed. But as you said earlier, Nev, that, that Brad Jones racing the bottom four cars, I mean, you, yeah, know, you yeah, can imagine yeah. Brad pulling what, his hair out, can't you? What, absolutely. What happened there? I mean, they said tyre pressures, they couldn't have gotten that wrong, could they? Or did they just try something really different? Oh, 
God knows what they tried. I mean, yeah, tire pressures. So why didn't they bring them in and change the tire pressures? But maybe they only worked that out afterwards. Who knows? But yeah, it's a pretty major cock up to send out all four cars in the same setup and and, and suffer like that. So uh, the problem is ten minutes. You know, on a wet track, you don't really have enough time. Or dampish track, you don't really have enough time to bring them back in and try something different. So you you're kind of stuck with it. Well, that's one thing I noticed with uh, Saturday qualifying, that the track was dampish. It was getting a dry line there for a little while, and then there's the rain would sprinkle and take that dry line away, and it was basically pick when you thought that dry line was actually at its best, because if you missed it, you weren't going to improve on your time. No, exactly, and that's why we knew it was going to get faster and faster as time went by. So, you know, it's uh, those tracks where the rain has stopped and it's going to dry, you know, it really is the last lap almost is going to be the quickest lap. So, uh, you know, you want to be, you want to time your run at the chicken flag really well. Um, but the difference is that when, when it's like that, you know, you're not going to want to come in. So you want to do your 10 minutes and you just go out and you do the whole thing. If it was a slick, a full, you know, sort of slick qualifying, you'd go out, do a run, then you come back in and put new tyres on and go and do a run. The problem is you can't warm the tyres up. So you're going to sit there and you're going to try and plot around on the same set of tyres for the whole run. Maybe if you made qualifying three, you'd swap over to a new set of tyres. But up until then, you're just going to run the one set. Okay. Qualifying order. Andre Heimgartner, as we just talked about, on pole for the Ned Whiskey Racing Team. Second, Chaz Mostert. Third, Will Brown. An absolutely fantastic qualifying effort by him. Fourth, Anton T. Pasquale. Fifth, James Courtney in the Boost Mobile Racing Car. Uh, Will Davison in sixth. Cameron Waters in seventh. I thought, I thought he could have been a bit higher there. Uh, Shane Van Gisbergen in eighth. Jamie Winkup in ninth. And rounding out the top ten, Brody Kostecki. Yeah, it's interesting. But look at the times. You know, two minutes, 7.8560. So Andre is the only one to get into the sevens. On the next day, qualifying, one minute, 48. So that's uh, that's how wet the track was and the difference that it made. So as you said earlier, you know, you're looking for those tram tracks to appear and to see what you can do. Well, that's, that's yes, they, they tend to be following each other. Okay, race. Wet track with rain threatening. This was an interesting race. I thought, oh, you beauty. Uh, most of the team started on wet, I think nearly everybody, except Brad Jones Racing. They decided to start on slicks. Uh, this meant if the track dried, they had choices with their slicks. For a fast pit stop, you only have to change two tyres. Every other team was changing from wets to slicks. They had to change four tyres, and that's what Brad Jones were banking on, and that's what they got. They did. So they sent out three cars. So um, Jack Smith didn't go out on the slicks, and they acknowledged afterwards that they should have followed their mates. But, yeah, so three of them. Uh, And the reason wasn't just that extra two seconds you save in the pit stop. It's the flexibility of the window. And you saw that, like, you know, this time around, you know, between laps five and seven, nearly every car in the field pitted to swip, swap from uh, wets to slicks. So that's what was forced on them because the, as the track started to dry, the rain didn't come, so they had to go to the to the dry tyres. And uh, for Nick Perkett, it was, uh, it was just a genius, genius move on the team. Okay, red light goes out. Chaz gets to jump off the line and leads Anton into the first turn. Yeah, it was a great start from those on the racing line. So, you know, you've got um, the pole line, so the odds, and then you've got the evens. 
Um, so second and fourth on the grid were first and second into the first corner, which was interesting. So much easier to get started on that on that dryish kind of line where all the cars have been running. Um, so that was interesting in itself. So Andre's dropped to third, and it's like, oh, you know, bugger, 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 bugger. And anyway, then so then um, Anton's had a crack at Chaz, made the move, got past him, led the race for two seconds, he reckons, and then he ran wide at the same time that Andre was having a crack at Chaz. So Andre zipped down the inside and Anton drifted wide. He's gone through and into the lead of the race. So then it was um, Andre from Chaz uh, and Anton dropped down to fifth spot. So that was a bit of a move on his part. Well, after that, Andre didn't seem to be challenged at all for the rest of the race. Well, from there, Andre had the speed. Um, He pulled out quickly to a significant gap. And even though he ended up with a pit stop penalty, or sorry, not a pit stop penalty, a five-second penalty for contact with Jamie Wincup in the pits, he still had enough in hand to win the race comfortably. The only issue is that the team were telling him the gap for the lead, not the gap on the track. So Andre's sitting there thinking, oh, I've hit Jamie Wincup in pit lane. I'm going to cop a five-second penalty. They're telling me he's got a four point eight second lead he's thinking that's not enough i've got to go harder i've got to get this out over to five seconds when he really had a 9.8 second lead so they were saying well let's not tell him that he's got the penalty and we'll just control the gap and things so it actually worked against them because you saw how hard he was going and that even though he had a comfortable gap you know he was taking risks and uh, one stage he locked and ran a little bit wide and did all of these things i think they made a mistake in not telling him exactly what was going on because he's smart enough to know I agree. Well, he said on television, I figured I had a five-second penalty. So, yeah, I don't know. What, do they think the driver's stupid? Well, yeah, they thought, oh, he won't be able to concentrate, you know. So they didn't give him enough credit to uh, to be able to manage what was going on on the track. Uh, and I think if they'd been straight with him, he wouldn't have been taking some of those risks. Imagine if he'd slid off the track into a sand pit because he was trying so hard to get that out to five-plus seconds when he really had nine-and-a-half seconds. I mean... I think it was a mistake on their part, and I think if they were given the chance again, um, and certainly in hindsight, talking to Heimgartner, they would absolutely tell him this time around. It was interesting on the TV when they were asking Todd Kelly if he was going to tell him, and he said, I don't know. And Scathy came across and said, yeah, tell him. You've got to tell people like he's the driver. He needs the information. Okay. There was a bit of strategy going on. BJR had lots of strategy to play with, considering they started last on the grid, and they decided to go slicks on three of their cars, but they were the only ones. So they were at an advantage when um, when there was pit stops and tyre changes. They only had to change two, as I mentioned before. The others had to change four. When all the pit stops were said and done, where did they come out? I know it's amazing when you think about it. So let's, let's go track it back a little bit. So when the pit stops started, Percat was in 23rd spot. So he's tiptoed around the early part. So, you know, you got him there. Then you've got uh, Hazelwood behind him. And then you've got, I think, Macaulay Jones next. So they're tiptoeing around the track on their slick tyres, trying not to get into trouble. The pit stop start, you've got Percat in 23rd spot. By the time everybody had done their pit stops, including Percat, he was in fourth spot. So that's a 22-spot gain over starting uh, where he started the race. Um, and amazing. And you'd know, Nev, I mean, you've known Brad Jones for as long as I've known him. When he's back's against the wall and there's some sort of interesting strategy call that that team can make, they do it and invariably it wins for them. So it was a genius move by Brad Jones Racing to do it. They took the risk. They had enough confidence in their drivers to drive slick tyres on a wet track at the start of it, knowing that it gave them flexibility in the race and, and yeah, really worked well for them. SVG, he was third when he stopped, but... Uh... 
there was a spike problem and it cost him 10 seconds. Where did he come out? Yeah, well, it's interesting. So uh, they, they couldn't pull the hose enough to get it into the spike, into the into the car, because one of the little rolling mechanisms up top had jammed. So you got this thing of, what you got, trying to push, trying to push, it just didn't work. So he dropped from third. It's like the garden hose is 10 centimetres too short. I know, we've all been through that before, haven't we, with garden hoses? If you've got one of those rolling mechanisms, it's the oh most painful, excruciating thing you can ever go through, you know, trying to sort out your garden hose, and that's what caught him. Um, so, yeah, that really kind of hurt them a little bit. Dropped all the way from third to 18th spot with that 10-second drop in time. So big cost to him. Um, but, you know, you sit there and you think what he did at Sandown when he started off 16th or 17th on the grid and ended up winning the race. So you're not quite writing him out yet, but uh, it's a big job to get back from there, especially when Heimgartner was driving so well up front and Perkat as well. Okay. Yep. A bit of a side note, Waters had a big lockup and really took out Jamie Winkup, but a bit of good speedway work kind of, he only lost one place. Yeah, it was amazing. Coming down that straight, and you've got Jamie Wincup coming out of the pits and Cam Waters thinking, I've got to get past this bloke. Um, so he jumps on the brakes really hard, like leaves it as late as he can, a big twitch, and it looked like he was going to clean up Wincup in the process. Somehow saved it, but he ended up off the track and didn't slow down much. He just kept it out there, you know, and got my speedway hat on. Yeah. And he only dropped the one spot, which was quite amazing. It looked like it could have cost him an awful lot more than that. So good save and sense um, to not cost himself too much, even though he... Uh, could have benefited if he'd made the easy move. We've got Van Gisbergen down in 18th, Perkat in fourth, and pressing for third. So Perkat came out of the pits and he was sitting right on the tail of Anton Di Pasquale. So he was eyeing, eyeing fourth spot. So he had to close in a little bit, put in the time, and then had a minor error on that last lap and dropped back a little bit. So uh, there was an alarm on the car that was just causing him a spot of drama. And uh, he dropped that spot to Cam Waters, who ended up fourth. Uh, just wanted to cover off Frosty, had a power steering problem, missed qualifying three and only just made the grid and was given the SVG bus wheel, that, that extra big wheel so he could actually turn the car. Yeah, it was amazing. So, uh, yeah, as I say, that he sent out of the pits. Um, I think he had one minute and 10 seconds left when he left his pit garage before they closed pit lane. Drove around, got on the grid, power steering, still buggered. So, uh, yeah, they're sitting there thinking, what are we going to do? You know, we're going to have to retire because it's too hard to drive it like that. And uh, so the Triple Eight team popped up with Van Gisbergen's wheel and said, here you go, Frosty. And he's sitting in like a NASCAR drive with this big wheel in front of him saying, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> this is why he's been going to the gym for all these years, so he can actually turn the steering wheel. So it didn't help him too much. He ended up wobbling around the back of the field for most of the race, which is a bit disappointing because he, he had good speed up until the power steering problem. I mean, he, he was comfortably inside the top 10 and probably would have you know, given it a good shake for a nice grid spot so uh, really costly in that sense i'm going to go through the order of winning the race andre heimgardner from Chaz mostert in third anton de pasquale fourth cameron waters fifth nick Percat, sixth jamie winkup in seventh shane van gisbergen will davison in eighth Brody Kistecki in ninth and rounding out the top 10, Jack LeBrock. After that, uh, Will Brown, James Courtney, Scott Pye, Tim Slade, Todd Hazelwood, Bryce Fullwood, Thomas Randall, Zane Goddard, Kirk Kistecki, Fabian Coulthard, Jake Kistecki, Macaulay Jones, Jack Smith, Gary Jacobson, Mark Winterbottom and David Reynolds. It's probably the last time I'm going to read it out like that because that's a bloody mouthful. Um, I just want to touch on Andre. Great result. But he was he, he nearly he nearly left the sport. Yeah, it's an interesting story. Uh, what was happening there? So he got the drive with with Super Black, 
and can I say that I actually helped him get that drive? So there's kudos to Andrew Clark. You know, and they asked me what I thought of him, and uh, I gave him a good a good rap. So I think that's the only reason he got the drive. So um, <laughs> that's that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. But yeah, he was he was almost gone. Like he he was thinking, what am I going to do? You know, he was about to become a finance broker or something equally ridiculous. Um, yeah, he said he was four days away from dropping out of the sport totally when he got the offers coming in. So really good to save it, but it shows you how perilous your life is as a supercar driver until you actually make the grade totally. You know, you can disappear. And we've seen it happen before. You know, guys like Chris Pither who are in and out of the sport, you know, got a bit of resilience there. But for Andre, it was like, well, if I can't do it properly, I don't want to do it at all. And um, so after Super Black, it was, well, what's going to happen? You know, he picked up a nice co-drive, did really well there, dropped onto the radar of the Kellys. Um, the Kellys hunted him out and, uh, and offered him a job. So it was like, yep, yeah, instead of disappearing from the sport, he ended up as a full-time driver. And after you know, a few years, he's now a race winner. All right. Okay, Sunday, we've got races 10 and 11. But first is qualifying for 10 and 11. And we're going to do these two qualifying sessions together because they kind of are done together. Basically, they're two 10-minute blasts with a 10-minute gap in between, I think. First of all, Anton Di Pasquale, pole position. Yeah, baby. Yeah, not just one pole position two so it's a not a bad way to break your duck is it um and to show how much control he was in he only did one qualifying run in the final qualifying session so two runs in the first one enough to grab pole with a 148 six seven uh, and then he's come out in the next one and done one lap at 148.18 and said that's good enough i'm done and sat there and watched to see if anybody could catch him. And he ended up on pole in that one by 0.3 of a second, which is, as we know, is a huge margin. And, uh, yeah, the DJR front row in the first race, which was the first one of those, which was even more impressive. So clearly Anton and Will Davison are starting to understand that Shell Mustang a little bit. Qualifying order, Anton to Pasquale. Next to him on the front row, Will Davison. So it was a lockout by the Shell V-Power racing team. Next, Tim Slade. He was looking fast. In fourth, Andre Heimgardner showing us all that Saturday wasn't a fluke. Fifth, Cam Waters. Sixth, Chas Mostert. Seventh, Nick Percat. Eighth, David Reynolds. Ninth, James Courtney. And rounding out the top ten, Mark Winterbottom. Uh, the Red Bull racing cars, they're missing. Yeah, they were. They had a shocking run in there. So remember, Saturday's wet, Sunday's dry. So we've got no no dry running effectively to, uh, or we went a little bit on the Saturday, but we've got no dry running at full speed on green tyres to work out where the car's at. Clearly, the uh, the triple eight cars missed the window, and we saw these great orders. So we saw, yeah, you know, Tim Slade up there and things like that. It was great. Did they have tyre pressures just like BJR had the day before? <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure. They don't really tell us when they go wrong. <laughs> They're not good at admitting. Um, but, yeah, it's a, um, could be tight pressures because when you look at the next session, you've got Jamie Winkup sitting in second. So, uh, you know, slight adjustment on the things. But uh, sometimes it's really just a reset of the driver, you know. It's um, reset the brain, go out and have a second crack, you know, or understand what the car's doing or not doing and drive around it. So one session quick, one session slow. Well, yes. Race 11 qualifying 10 minutes later, JW bounces back for the front row. The order for that one was Anton Tipasquale again on pole, but this time Jamie Winkup's next to him. In third was Cam Waters, fourth Shane Van Gisbergen, fifth Will Davison, sixth Chas Mostert, Bryce Fullwood in seventh, Tim Slade in eighth, 
Jack LeBrock in ninth and rounding out the top 10, Nick Perkett. Yeah, forward and LeBrock in the top 10. That was a bit of a turn up. It's great, isn't it, when it's mixed up a little bit. I love it when you, you know, your top 10 is not what you expect. You know, so Bryce Forward hasn't been that great in qualifying this year. He's had a couple of good ones, but then he's been a bit ordinary in others. So really good to see him up there. Tim Slade obviously backed up the earlier session with another top 10. And Jack LeBrock, who has been up and down like a yo-yo at the moment, but uh, into, the, into, the sh- into the top 10 for this one. So I love it when it gets mixed up. And that's why I love these really short sessions, the 10-minute the session. There's no room to make changes. There's no room to do anything except go out there and drive your ass off. And I love it. I'd, I'd much rather all the sessions were these 10-minute ones. Like, forget these complex drop out the bottom six and drop out the bottom 10 and let's do this and let's do that. Just give us these 10-minute sessions. They're brilliant. They're great. Okay. Race 10. Red light goes out and, wow, what an opening lap. Um, Good luck with this, Nev. I'm going to take a breath and I'm going to kind of – just go through all this, and then you're going to pull it apart for me. Here he goes. Anton and Will side by side, but Anton prevailed after they nearly hit. Slade was pushed wide by Heimgardner and came back on the track, spooking Moskett, who took evasive action and cleaned up Waters as Water was spearing past him. Both out. Waters is looping it down the track. It was fair. It was exciting to watch. Could have been worse, Frantic couldn't worked. it? <laughs> Frantic worked to try and get them out to be classified. Both missed marginally. Mostert did a test lap, said the car was terrible, but set the fastest lap of the race. Perkat was turned in the middle of all this chaos by Dave Reynolds, who limped to his pit window with bent steering. He just had to prevail. Seeing it was the first lap, Brody Kostecki did a dive bomb, and that played a part in the whole sandwich with uh, with Mostert and basically just forced Reynolds into Perkat. But not just acceptable, Nev. It's what we want to see. It's demanded. See <laughs> yeah, it's demanded. It's encouraged. You know, encouraged. we want to see people having a crack. Yeah, like I know people kind of talk about it and they say, oh, it's, you know, we're not driving for sleep stations. It's only lap one. Well, lap one's the easiest place to make ground. So uh, if you want to make a spot or two, do it. And Brody Kostecki did that. <laughs> and the interesting thing for me was that afterwards, Shane Van Gisbergen said, I just followed Brody. He cleared the way for me. <laughs> so, you know, Ben Gisberg had acknowledged that Brody's a, a, is a cracker. So uh, you just wonder where Brody Kostecki's going to be in a couple of years with a bit more experience. Uh, you know, he's just got no fear. He's got no qualms. If there's a gap, I'm going. You know, he's the race's racer. After all the first lap shenanigans, it all kind of settled down, and I have a confession. I nodded off, right? So I'm going to have to go on your notes to find out what happened in this race. You, you're educating <laughs> me here. Because well, Anton was his total control, right? So I was like, yeah. So Well, you know you know why, Nev? So this is the punishment we get for having a wet Saturday. So wet Saturday gave us an interesting race. The problem was it took away the tyre pain. It meant that we weren't going to be running short on green tyres or good tyres, which is what made the bend so interesting last year was that, you know, we knew people were going to struggle at some stage. Everybody had enough tyres. So we went back to normal and the bend you know, on its on its good days is just a you know, nice track to drive. It's beautiful. It looks great, but it's not a great overtaking track. It's not a great track for these cars to be firing at each other. So by taking away the tyre pain with the rain, we just got the procession, and uh, as you say, Anton was just completely in control, and you know, Will Davison followed him home, and there wasn't much more happening. We had Shane Van Gisbergen, who ran really long. Um, a grain, what he showed was he's the best at looking after tyres. You know, he's got such a great brain for this car racing thing and ran, ran himself really long and got himself in a good position. So he worked himself onto the podium from a really poor qualifying position, which was good. 
Okay, I'm going to go through the finishing order. Uh, Anton Di Pasquale. From Will Davison in second, third, Shane Van Gisbergen, fourth, James Courtney, fifth, Brody Kostecki, sixth, Bryce Fullwood, seventh, Andre Heimgardner, eighth, Thomas Randall, ninth, Mark Winterbottom, and rounding out the top ten, Scott Pye. Um, that top ten is not full of the usual names. Fascinating, ask, isn't it? I wanted, well, first of all, top ten finish for Thomas Randall. He's a wild card. Mate, he finished in eighth. That's, that's pretty awesome. It's an amazing effort for a bloke on a wild card. And, you know, you think about it, he's got a bit of Super 2 experience and so forth, and he's had a Bathurst co-drive. But this is something else. Like To do that in a, in a wild card is amazing. I mean, you know, look at where his, his compatriot wild carder is. You know, so Kirk Stecky's down in 16th spot, which is, you know, we would have said that's a great effort too. But eighth for a wild card is amazing. So imagine if Tickford had been allowed to do what they wanted to do, we would have had Thomas Randall on the grid for the entire season in that car, in those colours and ready to go. What would we be seeing from this kid? So uh, looking forward to hopefully Tickford getting a, the extra licence for next year so we can do Thomas Randall for the whole year. But, you know, you've got to take your head off to him. That's a great drive for, for a, a rookie. Okay. Fabian Coulthard, he didn't finish. He came in the pits on his last lap. Any idea what happened to him? No, I don't still. <laughs> um, but I, I, I wonder why you would come into the pits on the last lap when you could simply stay out on the track and tootle past the finish line. <laughs> it was just a strange thing to do. Anyway, no. that's the way it was. Although, if you look at the lap chart, it says he came in on the second last lap. So, uh, you know, it uh, looked like it was the last lap on the, on the TV, but the lap chart says the second last lap. Okay, they're saying it's the 400th win for a Ford, but you're saying your calculations are different? I've only got 397, but I don't count those qualifying races at Sandown. I think the official data does, so uh, that'd be where it gets to 400. But to me, they're not proper races, or even though they had championship points. Okay, so this was Anton's 99th race and his second win. Yeah, it's uh, amazing, isn't it? You think uh, 100 races uh, up effectively, so the the race later on in the afternoon was to be his 100th race, and two wins out of those. What's the bet that his next 100 races gives us a lot more than two race wins? (laughs) Let's hope so. Well, look, DJR's got a a bit of history going on there for Ford wins. By the 10 of their drivers, they've had accumulated Ford wins, 138 wins for Ford. That's a pretty good history. It isn't. It's pretty good, isn't it, when you think about it? Because you've got Alan Moffat obviously piling on a whole pile of them as well, and uh, and a few other great people in Fords. So clearly, you know, in the last 20, 30 years, you know, DJR's just been something special. I mean, obviously Dick and John Bow piled on a few. I think they got 30 wins each, but Scotty McLaughlin with 48 wins is dominating that part of it. But some great names in there. You know, when you go through the list and you look at it, you think, well, DJR had some pretty impressive drivers over the time. And uh, yeah, so good effort by the team. And it's great to see them bouncing back because there was a long spell where there weren't many wins at all. Okay, race 11. Off the line, Anton Di Pasquale. Cameron Waters has nailed the start and his past win cup was slotted into second into turn one. But Pasquale, he, t- he was away. He, he took off and he opened up a good lead. Kind of looked it like did. how far, didn't it? <laughs> it just looked like, yeah, he's going to lap the whole field at this rate. You know, I think he's a couple of seconds out in front after two laps. I mean, it's an amazing start to the race. But but we had Will Brown, early spinner with a puncher. Did he bring out a safety car? No. No safety okay. cars at all. So really the only action um, in the opening laps was Will Brown spinning with a puncher. Did, did he get helped or did, he, did, did, did that all happen on his own? 
Uh, the puncture happened on its own, but I'm pretty sure we got some contact earlier on in the in the thing. As it happens on the opening laps, you bounce off other people. So, you know, puncture, um, the tyre eventually completely shed itself because uh, you don't want to be having a puncture at this track on the second corner. Wow. <laughs> You've still got about four kilometres to go to drive it home. So uh, you're going you're gonna to feel some damage on that process. Well, talking about you don't want things happening, definitely don't want a puncture, but Anton, he was sailing along nicely, and then he, <laughs> he got worse than a puncher. He got an engine going flat, well, all intensive purposes. Yeah, the, the first reports were that it had a misfire, and uh, I think Anton said, I've got a misfire, I've got a misfire. But uh, it was a little bit more than that, I think, in hindsight. So uh, he pitted, obviously, and, uh, and that was it. They, just, uh, they pulled out the scope, had a look in the engine, turned it off and said, Anton, uh, your day is done. So, uh, you know, to, to back up your 100th and hey, you know, look at that extra win, clearly wasn't going to happen. But uh, as I say, his early pace was amazing. But then, um, you know, if you're not there to defend it, then uh, Cam Waters can just run away. Well, that's right. Waters inherited the lead, which is the reason why you have such a good start, because if he hadn't have had such a good start, it would have been SVG inheriting the lead. So Waters is in the lead, SVG and they have a race-long tussle. Can SVG undercut Cam? Can Cam stay in the lead? They did the tyre changes. It came down. The two of them were head and shoulders above everybody else. And basically, Cam Waters just had to hold off SVG for the whole race. Yeah, it was one of those ones, isn't it? It's like Formula One. We've been itching for that you know, Lewis Hamilton versus Max Verstappen battle. We've got that in Formula One. We've been sitting here waiting for this, this battle between Waters and Van Gisbergen to explode. You know, we didn't see much of it at Bathurst because you can't pass there anymore. Um, and here we thought, oh, okay, let's go. We're on. Van Gisbergen doesn't like following people. So you thought he's, he's not going to sit there long, is he? He's going to poke. He's going to stick his nose up. He's going to have all sorts of cracks at him. And he did. You know, he put the pressure on and Cam Waters held up beautifully on it. And, uh, you know, you got a four-lap difference in pit stops. So Van Gisbergen coming out, you're thinking he's got fresher tyres. This is Van Gisbergen to do it. And I'm going to go this way. I'm going to go that way. Nothing happened. Okay. Cam came in first and changed the two rear tyres. The Giz has gone, I've got to do something different and changed one side. The left, it was the yeah, left-hand you, side. Yeah, don't you love the mentality? You know, if they've done that, I'm going to do something different. Because if I don't do the same thing, then I'm just going to get the same result, which was a pretty clear indication that he knew he couldn't pass waters that you know we had to try it so sending him out on the left hand side tires and the hard bit about that is that those opening laps after that when you're trying to get the tires up to temperature you got massive grip on one side of the car and not much grip on the other side of the car so really delicate balance there um, when you're going up a guy with warm tires all around and uh, yeah good challenge for him but i love the mentality i just love the approach what it did bring out was the the aero wash thing that we've all been talking about. The Giz could only get so close to Cam and couldn't get any closer. Cam, in the interview on the podium, basically said, it's about time I got out in front of SVG and he could uh, burn his tyres up while he was chasing me because I'm sick of doing the same thing when I'm chasing him. Finally, it happened to him. And, and we, you, you could see it. He just couldn't quite just follow him in those the car would just wash out or push it was also a battle of relative strengths you know where the cars were good and where they were weak so cam was able to just put enough into uh, to get himself in front for where he's going to be attacked by van gisbergen and as you say watching them go around those that combination of right handers yeah you, know, you could probably see a little bit of the nose drifting on on van gisbergen at times and uh yeah cam was quite happy with that i think he was looking in the mirrors thinking ah nice well, 
the gears would back off and cool his tyres down and have another go. He had about three or four of those. He just, it, it just couldn't make it happen. He nearly did it in uh, when he joined back on the track with Cameron Waters, and I think the next lap he's done the big dive down into turn one but couldn't pull that off, and that was about the closest he got to passing Cam for the rest of the race. Yeah, and as I say, you, or as you said earlier, you know, it's a, it's interesting doing the, the foots on the on the other shoe, sorry, the shoes on the other foot. Uh, it, it's the it's the same thing, you know. The cars are hard to pass, and we know that. So you know, you really had to get that track position, and uh, that's probably why they stopped Cam Waters, uh, you know, on lap twelve, instead of holding him out a little bit. You know, they didn't want to lose their track position, so um, you know, get him out, get his tyres warm. Um, by the time Van Gisbergen has he stopped, you know, because the times were okay. Let's say Cam's times were better than than Van Gisbergen's at the time. So they knew they had the speed. So they just had to get out and, and look after track position. And then Cam had to do the job. If there's two cars battling, the first one to pit, I reckon, actually has to force the other team to act on whatever strategy they've got or make, make the decisions. It, it kind of puts the pressure on the other guy. Because they're deciding, do we need to pit now or do we go long and all this kind of stuff? Yeah, and it's great. I love it when they have to think about what they're doing instead of just going to a plan, you know. Um, they love like to run Van Gisbergen long, but uh, they only ran him to lap 15 because the speed from orders was so good. They couldn't run him too long because the gap was going to be huge. Made um, force and, their hand. Uh, yep, force their hand. So good, good work, Tickford. You know, you actually had the power this time because you were actually in front then you can control what you do. Instead of being in second and trying to work out how you get past, control it from the front and make them second guess. And, uh, yeah, it worked quite well for them, I thought. Well, what happens when you're out in front? You win the race. <laughs> Cam Waters first, followed by Shane Van Gisbergen. In third, Will Davison, great effort after Anton's out. It was up to Will to, to fly the flag for DJR. Jamie Wincups in fourth. Chaz Mostert in fifth. Nick Perkett in sixth. Tim Slade in seventh, James Courtney in eighth, Scott Pye in ninth, and rounding out the top ten, Andre Heimgardner. Uh, after that, uh, Brody Kostecki, David Reynolds, Todd Hazelwood, Bryce Fullwood, Thomas Randall, Jake Kostecki, Fabian Coulthard, Mark Winterbottom, Jack Smith in 19th, and Macaulay Jones in 20th. After that, Zane Goddard, Jack LeBrock, Kirk Kostecki, William Brown, Gary Jacobson and Anton Di Pasquale uh, did not even – Gary Jacobson and Anton didn't even finish or didn't get, get any points. NC, not yeah, classified. So, yes. So championship-wise this weekend, we've seen some pain, you know. So Cam Waters and uh, Chaz Mostick getting no points in race two, Anton getting no points in race three. And interestingly, Anton's come out and said, that's the end of the championship dream for this year. Um, so he's had a couple of, you know, a couple of rough rounds while he's getting used to it, but those that DNFs really cost him. So, so he reckons he's just too far back. Yeah. Okay. Yep. He thinks well, it's too hard to bridge the gap. Yeah. Well, it was all about collecting points this week. There might be three races over the weekend, but it's all about accumulating points. And guess what? SVG collected the most points of the weekend. He didn't win a race, but he won the round. Two hundred and forty-seven points. In second was Will Davison with 238 points. And third, Andre Heimgardner with 216 points for the round. In terms of the championship, Nev, the important part there is that Jamie Wincup's picked up 196. He was sitting second in the championship. So Van Gisbergen's extended it all, hasn't he? Yeah. It's just, it's all falling into place still. Uh, Randall won the wildcard battle with 136 points to Kurt Kostecki on 94. The Kostecki Cup. The cousin, 
<laughs> the cousin beat the brothers. Brody Kostecki was 178 points. Jake Kostecki was 100 points. And Kurt, well, as I just said, was 94. Championship points standing. I'm going to read out the top 10. First, Shane Van Gisbingen on 1,112 points. Jamie Winkup on 922 points. I don't know what the gap there is that for. 190. Great. Chaz Mostert, 866 points. Will Davison, 861 points. So that's pretty close. Cameron Waters on 848 points. So there's there's that group. Uh, that's, tight, that's isn't it? Pretty tight. Mark Winterbottom on 697. Anton Di in 648. Yeah, well, yeah, he's pretty far down. Look yeah, at that. Okay. Three DNFs throughout the season so far, and he's still on 648. So he's the coming man, isn't he? Definitely. In eighth, Andre Heim Gardner, 646. Nick Perkett in ninth on 617, and Brody Kostecki rounding out the top 10 on 615. I tell you, yeah. there's a few names in there I didn't expect to see in the top 10 this early oh, in the season. I know. Well, especially Brody Kostecki as a rookie. I mean, that's that's a staggeringly good effort. As you know, we, we like Brody, but uh, yeah, that, that's just a good effort on his part. But what I'm loving there, Nev, is that that battle from second to, uh, to fifth, you know, we've got 922 to 848 covering four people. So Van Gisbergen's not going to want to muck up. So he's going to want to finish Bathurst, for instance, where there's 300 points up for grabs. Um, so, you know, while we think that, you know, the title's in his control at the moment, like a 190-point gap is big, it's not insurmountable. So uh, that, that fierce battle for second in the championship at the moment could easily become first with a DNF or two. I think this is the key. I think just think Shane has to just not have any DNFs. He's so far ahead. Yeah. I wonder whether that'll end up tempering some of his enthusiasm for passes, you know, because he's a very risky overtaker. He manages to pull it off most times. But uh, will he be starting to think, oh, you know, I can't risk a DNF, so I'll just sit in second. I don't think you should do that because if you're out of your natural rhythm, that's when you stuff up. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting when it gets to that point. So later in the season, I think you'll see it starting to have an impact on on his racing. With a lack of a segue, speaking of uh, rhythm, natural rhythm, Red Bull Racing is leading the team's championship. Shock horror. Shell V Power Racing, they're uh, second. So, okay, Red Bull, they're on 2,034 points. Uh, Shell Shell DJR, 1,509 points. So there's like 500 points between them. Uh, Third, Tickford Racing. This is a Tickford one, I assume. Car 6 and 44. They're on 1,414 points. Walkinshaw and Dreddy United. This is car 2 and 5. 1,393 points. And rounding out the top five, uh, Irwin DeWalt Racing. uh, 1,277 points. Sixth, is uh, the Ned Penrod Racing. Seventh is Erebus Motorsport. Eighth is Brad Jones Racing 1. And ninth, Matt Stone Racing. And rounding out the top 10, Team Sydney. Mm-hmm. Okay, I just wanted to just a couple of points. The wildcard battle from the bend. We had Thomas Randall and we had Kirk Kostecki. Thomas Randall, 136 points. Fantastic effort for uh, for a wild card. Kirk Kostecki, 94 points. Also, the Kostecki Cup. Oh, we got to do more of this. Uh, that's quite interesting. There's a, a, a few Kosteckis out there. There's three of them. That's actually quite confusing sometimes. 
Oh, no, we're going to have to do a research and see if there's any more Kostekis around. <laughs> They're a fairly unique name, so we, we'll be able to work it out quickly, I reckon. <laughs> Back to Randall. Oh, super impressive. I mean, it shows the kid's got heaps and heaps of talent. Uh, and, uh, yeah, got his head around it all pretty quickly. So qualified okay, but he raced really well. And I think he was looking at taking, you know, having a crack at Andre, and he decided, uh, yeah, eighth is good. I'll just sit here and be a little bit smart about this because I don't want to end up with a DNF when I've got a good result. So prove that he's got wherewithal to do it. You know, he's, he's good enough to make the main game. Uh, and, you know, we will see him in the main game next year, I reckon. Uh, even if Tickford can't get that fourth licence, they'll probably lease him out somewhere to get him into the game. Brody Kostecki is the highest place rookie uh, in the field at the moment. It would have been interesting if Randall could have done the full season. It would have been an interesting battle between Brody, Will Brown and Thomas Randall for this year if he could have been there for the whole season. It would have been good. And uh, you'll see when we get to the driver ratings later on in the week, you know, that there's um there, there's this battle and the, the rookies – you want them to get better. You want to see them getting better. And when you're into your second and your third season, you want to see them improving even more. So my question is, you know, if you look at this battle between that Thomas Randall and, and Brody Kostecki and so forth, why aren't we getting the same thing from your Jack Smith and Macaulay Jones at the moment? So I think it puts pressure onto those guys to say, you know, you need to actually be getting up there and, and improving a little bit more. You need to put, of course, need, we know Brad Jones is in pain at the moment. but uh, they, just, you know, they just need to put more pressure in their tyres. Or less pressure. <laughs> yes. Yes. Just, uh, okay. just get the pressure right, buddies. <laughs> when is the next round and where is it? Uh, we're at Winton on May 28 and 29. So what's that, three weeks away? Yeah, head up to Winton. It should be nice and cold in the mornings. Maybe there'll be a bit of fog around and uh, some hailstorms. We've had everything at Winton, haven't we, in the past? So we've got, we've got a bit of a gap. Okay, our next show is driver ratings. That'll be coming up early next week because we've got a few weeks to fill. Yeah, go next week because it gives everybody something for next week. Got to, got to keep wanting more. Okay. We've done it. We've got to the end of this review. Listeners, thanks for sticking with us. Clarky, thanks for filling us in. Thanks, Dave. It's been fun. Catch you later. Turn four, you've missed a bit in here. So Anton's behind him, and then Anton turned wide. But so so Andre Andre was having a crack at Chaz at the same time that Andre ran wide. So um, he jumped from third to first. Hang on, oh, sorry, sorry. Say that so again. Anton Anton was leading off the line. Yeah. So he led, was leading into turn four when he ran wide. So Chaz he dropped the fifth spot. Line. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah. No, Anton Just beat him. Yeah, no, so you're right, Anton, yes. Okay, I'm going to do that again. These A's are getting to me. Mm. <laughs> Let's There's go to always. surnames. <laughs> oh, no, I just I start again. Take three. Off the line, Chaz got the jump and he led in.